2: A message from NHTSA and the Ad Council. As the number one audio company, iHeartMedia gives you access to all. Every
3: audience, live conversations, trusted influencers, and the insights and data you need to grow. iHeartMedia is your access company. Go to iHeartResults.com for more.
4: You're listening to Modern Rules, a production of MSNBC and iHeartRadio. There's a woman I think about all the time. I met her two years ago when we were on vacation at a dude ranch in upstate New York. She was a waitress. And the owner of the restaurant came and said, "Um, We have a waitress here and she'd love to talk to you. So I said, Great. So she came over. She said, I see you on the news. I see you on TV. I want to tell you why I love the president. I love him because he loves me. He came to see me. You, you think I'm white trash. And she goes, This restaurant where I work at, they give me enough hours that I can't get a second job, but they don't give me enough hours to get health care. I'm a mom, I have two single daughters. Their kids have to go to school up here. We have the worst public schools with no special services. Both of my grandchildren need them. So all I have is the bureaucracy in town and nobody answers the phone. But the president, he came up here, he had a rally. And I said, but what did he offer you in that rally? What were the policies? And she goes, I don't know very much about policies but I know somebody who's now living in the White House came and talked to us, and I can't get anybody at social services to even answer the phone. And she said, where you live, you have charities that you raise money for, you know, the boys club, the girls club. And, and I said, yes, because I do. And she goes up here. We don't have any of that. And then she laid it out. She said, here's the deal. My grandchildren aren't washing up on shore in a boat. So my story is not ugly enough to be on the cover of your newspaper. But look at me, I'm not pretty enough to go to your house for dinner. And here's the thing, on a whole lot of levels, she's right. Maybe we don't see her, and maybe we don't talk about her. But what she's asking for is compassion for her. We are living in complicated times. We've never been able to communicate so easily, yet dialogue itself is dying. The line between what one can and cannot say is absolutely clouded. We are losing friends and cutting off family members over things that should make us better and smarter. Over progress. Progress is uncomfortable. Hence, our latest endeavor, the Modern Rules podcast. What we'd like to say are compelling conversations during these culturally complicated times.
1: And they're not actually anonymous.
4: I'm Stephanie Rule, MSNBC anchor and NBC News correspondent, and this is Modern Rules. In this season of Modern Rules, I'm going to be spending time unpacking the hairiest conversations from privilege to political correctness to try and figure out how we can navigate this changing world and breakthrough to actually talk with and learn from the people who disagree with us and maybe, just maybe, learn something along the way. Together on Modern Rules, we're going to get into this idea of political correctness. Lots of well-intentioned people say things that come across offensive. Some of those people need to tighten up their game. But on the other hand, where some people are expecting us to be so sensitive to so many groups, the outcome is others are shutting down and leaving the conversation. I, for one, believe the more people in the conversation, the better. So my goal is to try to find some progress. So I recruited three tour guides as I try to make my way through this cultural minefield Head of the Pulitzer Organization, Dana Kennedy, Questlove, and Michael Ian Black. My first guest, author and journalist, Dana Kennedy, who is no stranger to speaking her mind. So I started the conversation by talking about that waitress. So two years ago, Andy and I and the kids were in upstate New York, and we met a waitress Mm -hmm. who said, I want to talk to you and I want to tell you why I love President Trump. And I said, sure. Now, that woman is a forgotten American who had everything she said, had tons of of racist overtones in it. She goes, up here in upstate New York, we don't have the after school programs and all the charities that you raise money for that the sisters in places like New York City have. Nobody cares about us. And she said, the president cares about me. And she said the sisters, so it's clearly a racial judgment. And so what do we do about that person? And as a black successful woman who grew up in Kentucky Mm -hmm. and has lived a successful life in New York City, Mm What do we do
5: about
3: that I have divide? so many thoughts on that. Number one, <laughs> <laughs> number one, I don't think she gets a pass because she's racist. That's just not acceptable. Because the air quote sisters she speaks of have the same issues, and they're more like her than she realizes. That's number one. Two, I'd love to go back to her today and see how that worked out for you. Like this sense that someone is coming into a new administration, riding in on a white horse and was going to save her. I will bet you cash money she would tell you that didn't happen. It's not going to happen. And so it's more of a pipe dream, I think, than anything else. The other thing about that is familiarity breeds respect and ultimately friendship and then love, or it gives us the best chance at it. So I've had people say to me my whole life, mostly as it relates to journalists, journalists can't be trusted, journalists or whatever, long before the whole enemy of the people shtick, which I believe it is a shtick came into play. But, oh, but not you. <laughs> or. If someone says something about black people and says it in front of me, but not you. So once you're sitting across from someone, um, everything changes. And once the person realizes, wow, this person doesn't hate me, you know, they actually, they actually, they're human just like I am. And they they have the same concerns about their kids that I do. All of that falls away one person at a time. But
4: we're sitting across from each other less and less. And that's my fear, Dana.
3: I think that's the answer, though, is that we have to find ways to put each other in the same room. I live in two different worlds, I always say, and I'm often out of context. If I'm walking around, you know, doing the grocery shopping in my sweats uh, on the weekend, the assumption is one thing about me. I'm that sister that she's talking about, right? But the minute somebody either hears me speak or learns about my career, suddenly I'm everyone's best friend. Oh my God, you're so quote unquote articulate. You're so smart. Um, you're so interesting. You're so strong. I'm grateful that people see me in that context at times to the extent that I am those things. I was those things when I was walking around in my sweats and you didn't know who I was. I love that you brought up the word articulate (laughs)
4: because it is this hot button word. Mm -hmm. And I hear arguments actually on both sides. So Explain to me, and, and okay. I, I want this to be the, mm-hmm. the safest place. I want you to explain to me. What's wrong with it? What, what's wrong with it? Because here's my fear. I hear from people who say, I'm trying to say something nice. I'm trying mm-hmm. to call someone articulate. Mm-hmm. You have be nice been nice and condescending at the
3: same time. Why do you assume it's okay. condescending? So if I go in anywhere, I happen to meet with a bank president or CEO of a company, and we have a meeting, and at the end, now imagine me i uh, sitting there with a, let's just make this up, a 62-year-old white man who went to Harvard. And I went and shook his hand and said, my God, you're articulate. He'd look at me like I'd lost my mind. Why wouldn't he be articulate? He's accomplished, well-educated. Of course he's articulate. That's the ticket to get in the door. But it's special or different or other or stands out often when you look like me. But Dana, you are special. And you do stand out. i you are. not articulate. that special. Yes, I say this all are. the time. I'm Stop not a unicorn. It. I'm not. There are thousands of black women in this country getting up every day as a single mom like I am, going to work. I have a high profile position. You are extraordinary, Dana. Well, thank you. But you know what? I know a lot of other extraordinary people. And they're not all black women. I mean, you're extraordinary. But I bet people don't walk around every day telling you you're extraordinary. I don't walk through life thinking of myself as extraordinary. I think of myself. As a mother who has to put food on the table, who has to teach my child certain values before he leaves my home, you know, who has to, ha- who has to have a relationship with God that's important to me, all those things. And I'm going to tell you something I say all the time. I think I've said this to you in your, in your home. Um, there are people, I had it happen to me this weekend. I was dropping my son off at the airport and there was one woman checking us in through security and she, I was handing her my, my tag, my, um, his boarding pass. And this man comes up, and he has his boarding pass on his phone, and he literally stepped in front of me and held up the pass so she could put him through. And I said, excuse me, I'm sorry. Did you not see me standing here? Right? And so he, he ended up apologizing and so forth. But we can be invisible. We can be misunderstood. And that can happen for everybody. But when you're a person of color, it often happens more. And so The sense of entitlement that can happen that you speak about all the time, I think is very real. I say this to people all the time. For anyone who thinks they're better than another person, you're only better than them until you need their bone marrow. Life is the great equalizer. But I'm saying there are people who really think that they're more entitled. They're entitled to cut the line. They're entitled to seconds before someone else even has firsts. They're entitled to the better schools because they can pay for them. They are entitled entitled to the better life because they believe they actually worked. They had no leg up, and that if everybody else just got over it already and worked really hard and buckled down, you can get there too. And in fact, they point to me as proof of that, right? And while on one hand, there are a lot of people like me, I believe, when you live in a segregated world, you wouldn't know that. We've got so
4: much more to talk about. We'll be right back after a quick break.
0: My dad works in B2B marketing, but I never really knew what that meant.
4: Welcome back to Modern Rules. I'm not trying to excuse bad behavior, Mm -hmm. but there's a long distance between that person who cut you in line at the airport Mm -hmm. than the person who's calling you articulate. Mm -hmm. And you can say to me, no, Stephanie, but is there some break or forgiveness to give to people who are trying? And, And this is why I'm saying this, because my fear right now is that we are getting so in these mm-hmm, tribes mm-hmm. that we have to find some
3: level of give because I worry that we're going to silence people. Of course and silence there is has the to be more give. And so those people who call me articulate, I may be frustrated and I roll my eyes, but I don't hold it against them. I can hug that person. <laughs> I can have them in my house. I can laugh at them. Let me tell you a really funny story. <laughs> <laughs> You're all going to love this. When I first started out at the New York Times, uh, Uh, And the woman, I'm I'm telling this story because the woman who did this, we're actually friends and we joke about it today. At the time, it was not funny. I was brand new and I was a business finance reporter and um, reporters had to work a rotating weekend shift in case news broke. And this was during a time when there were a lot of mergers and acquisitions going on in the baking industry. So I was working on a Sunday. My shift was almost over and the mergers and acquisition reporter came in. There was some huge deal going down on a Sunday and she was frantic. So I get my notebook and pen and said, hey, listen, how can I help you? I'll stay as long as you need. And she's like, oh, my God, great. Thank you. I'll come back and just give me two minutes. She goes to her desk and she scribbles something down, right? And this gets, the again, the point of this story is, yes, you can, you can start where I'm about to tell you and end up where this is a woman who's a friend. And <laughs> she comes back to my desk a few minutes later. She hands me the piece of paper where she was scribbling down. And a key to her apartment says, I've left my oven on. Could you just please go and turn it off? What? Uh Uh-huh. And so I had a choice there. And this is another thing I teach my son all the time. And I speak about this a lot. When life hands you whatever it's going to hand you, whether it's something like that, which, by the way, is minor, or something like the tragedy that I've had in my life that, you know, where my fiance was killed in combat in Iraq when our son was six months old, you can really get frustrated, which I did, and angry or hurt or whatever you want to feel But you can take the high road or you can let it bring you low. And so what I did was I I, I picked up my coat because clearly my shift was over. I wasn't doing that. (laughs) And turned off my computer and said, that sounds like a personal problem. You need to call your super right away. Um, But if I could use my journalism skills in any way to help you, just let me know. And I walked out. And so the whole next week, I had a group of friends at uh, The Times um, some of whom were black reporters, and we, it became a joke for the week, which really allowed me to let go. People would say, Hey, by the way, I have some dry cleaning. Can you pick it up? Or would you order me a pizza? <laughs> How'd you become friends? Because <laughs> Dana,
4: that was many years ago, yeah. and you learned to forgive her. And right now,
3: I forgave we're her not, within months. You forgave her within yeah. months. So the way we got past it, I love her. She cringes when I tell the story, and I never tell her name, you know, because I wouldn't do that because she's my friend. She said, Dana, and, and I think she really believes it. She said, I thought we were friends. Well, I'd only been there a few months and, you know, we weren't that close. But in her mind, she said, I, th- I was asking you as a friend. And That's, I, that's a lie. Well, whatever. <laughs> Maybe it was a rationalization. But she was not coming from a place, she believes, of I think you're less than and I think your value is in, you know, turning off my oven. Right? And I said, okay, you know, I I accept that. But also, even if it was a lie, she realized she had said and done something wrong and felt horrible about it. Um, And so then we just started making a joke of it. And over time, she got more and more embarrassed about it, you know, as I joked about it. And then we moved on. How hard is it right now for people to
4: have an independent thought, to maintain the high road, to have a long view? And I turn you to social media. Mm -hmm. On social media right now, there's no room for nuance or forgiveness Or a variety of opinions. On social media, it is performance art. Mm -hmm. You play a
3: role. You play a character. And the moment Mm -hmm. you deviate from that, Mm -hmm. you are getting filleted. So it's harder to do in your line of work. But I tell people, minimize social media in your life. Who says we have to be a slave to it? I am not on social media that much. For my job, as I need to be, I am. Uh, But tone it down. Turn it off. Disconnect.
4: Social media is the epicenter of where we're labeling and blaming
3: people. It's easy to hide. Somebody uh, sent a, a nasty tweet about me last year, something about either the way I looked or something I'd done. You're kidding. And, and I just very funny said, you know, that really was a bad hair day. And the guy says, oh, ma'am, I'm so sorry. He never thought I would see it. He thought I was so, you know, I don't know, in Important. the air that I would never see it. And we laughed about it, you know, and I don't laugh everything off. I don't want you to think that. People have to feel whatever they feel, right? Um. I was some anonymous, really not true human being on the other side of his, you know, phone or computer. He never thought I was going to respond. Social media
4: and labeling uh, takes me to another subject that I want to talk about, race. Mm -hmm. It is a massively important topic. I worry that maybe the label of racism or racist Mm -hmm. is getting overused in a way That could hurt us in terms of race relations. And I'm just going to give a quick example. There's lots of newspaper articles out. I think it was the New York Times. that was saying Stuyvesant High School, which is sort of the number one gifted and talented math public school, admitted only seven African-American students in their Mm -hmm. freshman class. Mm -hmm. And I was just trying to make a nuanced point Mm -hmm. on Twitter that while this is an issue, Mm -hmm. this is not the same issue Mm -hmm. as the college cheating scam Mm -hmm. about white privilege, you know, winner takes all. Mm -hmm. I was trying to say, and in the case of Stuyvesant, it's, a, it's one single admissions test. Mm-hmm. There's no interview. There's, a, there, there, there's nothing qualitative. You either get this score or you don't. Mm-hmm. And so I was just trying to say it's mm-hmm. slightly different. Mm-hmm. And as soon as I said that, my Twitter is filled with, mm-hmm. you white privilege racist. Mm-hmm. And my fear is, as soon as people are saying that, mm-hmm. you shut down. Mm-hmm.
0: Mm-hmm.
4: How do we address, especially issues like privilege? Because the answer is, seventy yes. It's one exam, and all those kids, many of whom are from a diverse background, who are going to the public, failing public schools in New York City, aren't prepared for that test. Mm -hmm. But as soon as you're being labeled a a racist, Mm -hmm. I worry Mm -hmm. that identifying racial issues Mm -hmm. might worsen race relations. Well, a couple
3: things. First of all, just because somebody calls you racist doesn't mean you are.
4: But it does make you want to get
3: out of the conversation. Sure it does, sure. But that's where you have to resist. Just as people have to resist using that label on people who um, aren't racist or may not be racist. Others have to say, I'm going to stay in the conversation. I'm not going to give that so much power and so much weight that it shuts me down because I've decided I'm part of the solution.
4: Something I've been struggling with these days is how we can find a way to explore things that we do not understand, get somebody else's perspective, without actually stepping on a cultural landmine. Is there a way to cover these dicey topics and be genuinely curious without getting yourself in hot water? So I turn to someone who I trust, who knows I have good intentions, and he certainly knows a lot. My friend, writer, entrepreneur, musician, all-around superstar, Questlove, to get some answers. I want to talk to you about how hard it is to tell the truth right now. And oh. how hard it is to get real. So I always joke that the the young people that I work with, or I call them woke nation. Right. And I think about what it's like on social media right now, where it's very hard to share an opinion that's outside this designated brand.
5: Can I ask you something, though? Yeah, of course. Are, are they woke or are they performative woke?
4: Okay, right there. Right there.
5: Okay, because performative woke is uh, a syndrome that's threatening not to go away.
4: How do you define performative woke?
5: I guess in short, you could say that what social media allows you to do, kind of like old school Nintendo with the gold coins, is you get to collect clout points, you know. So with the right sentence and the right paragraph and the right structure, you can collect clout points. Now, I do believe that there's a way of informing people of what's going on that otherwise wouldn't know. Like, I I know for a fact that most of my friends are, at this point, exhausted from watching the news. So I have a bunch of hashtag, I just can't, I just can't, I just can't. And the news is exhausting. So, I mean, for a, s- a certain few to inform them, I think is is wise. But then there's people that take kind of that position. I'm not, I'm not saying it's fake concern or fake outrage, but there's people that I call performative woke that I feel don't necessarily walk the walk or talk the talk, you know.
4: How dangerous do you think it is? Because I fear it's going to get people to stop talking.
5: Uh, I mean, it's a real thing, though. And that's the thing. Is things can happen in real time and voices can be heard instantly. And we do live in canceled culture. And so right now, it's what I would call the landmine era of where we live in, where you just have to, Be extremely careful and what your moves are and what your approach is. Um, I don't know if it's crazy more or less than just, maybe we just weren't aware of the outrage. And I'm in for certain things. Yeah, I I do believe that this is becoming a genuine surprise to people that weren't aware that Black people felt a certain way about things. People are going to have to do real research. And that's the problem.
4: You are so much more than a musician. We can't even list the amount of businesses that you're in. How do you feel when people call you articulate?
5: I roll my eyes in my head, you know. You know what, in 94— Because it's a
4: compliment in their minds. In
5: 94, I used to—but see, that's the whole superhuman, subhuman. uh, But what if it's not?
4: What if someone's saying, man, you're super impressive? What if they're not saying it about your race? What if they're saying it about you because you are?
5: All right, so look, all right, the same way that Black Lives Matter has a secret ellipsis at the end of that sentence, which is, you know, missing the word to, T-O-O, in 92, I realized that I'm going to hear hashtag speak so well. Um, oh, I, I, I didn't expect this. I didn't expect a deep conversation with you. And it's it's because <laughs> for at least the First three years of my career, from 92 to 96, that's all I heard. Like, wow, you're so amazing to talk to. And, <laughs> and I mean, at the time, it was like, okay, I, I have to get in the door somehow. So I'm not going to say, well, what do you mean by that? You mean that we're all not like, you know, I know that the end of that sentence is as opposed to other rappers that I interview that don't hold a conversation with me. This word research? Mm-hmm
4: is there a place for it in a thoughtful way
5: you well I'm i talk, take, I, talk, I'm gonna, I talk to people i know you I, like i talk to people so i'm the i'm the bridge between a lot of opinions i will ask everyone what they think what they think and that's the thing i i don't know everything but i ask everything and that's that's the problem People don't go outside their comfort zone.
4: Okay, so I'm going to go out on a limb and say, I believe that you know and respect me and you believe I'm well-intentioned. Is there a place for me in a truly curious way to ask a question like, I know it's not appropriate. Mm -hmm. I can't remember why, but is there a way to actually approach and answer that question Uh without burning a house down?
5: I feel as though there are enough op eds and enough blogs out there where you can discreetly quietly google what what opinions are to sort of get the gist of you know how deep is the water like i I don't again which if you okay if you're vacationing next week and you happen to be on a yacht, I would think that you wouldn't just dive in head first uh you would ask questions about. Are there sharks in there? You would you want to know how deep the water is? If and if people
4: like you and me are lucky enough to have massive platforms, we better do our homework before we run our mouth.
5: But not not even for us. I think generally for everybody, I think all those answers can be found. A lot of times people will just ask the question, and my my number one response on social media is mostly Google's your best friend. Google's your best friend. And, you know Yes, could I have just given them the answer How many albums have you had? Uh, 17 No, I would would say like Google's your best friend Like I want you to do the work You can find that out There's an easy way to find that out
4: We have so much more to get into We'll be back right after a quick break
1: Check the
2: backseat Check the backseat right, come here
5: Welcome
4: back to Modern Rules. As complicated as it is for me on live TV every day, there's one profession I think it's worse for, comedy. Comedians for all these years have made a living making people laugh, kind of leaning on, pressing on stereotypes. And now we're living at a time when even stereotyping someone at the get-go can knock you out of the game. So I talked to Michael Ian Black about how complicated all this is For a guy in his profession. Do you see the impact of this sort of cancel culture where we're deleting people that we don't like their behavior? We're labeling them?
6: There's always examples of individuals who have been through this and have had their lives really hurt. Um, Some cases fairly, and in fewer cases unfairly. I don't know anybody in media who hasn't, men in media, who hasn't like looked at their own past behavior and gone, geez, did I step over a line somewhere? Did I do something? Am yeah, I guilty of this? the line was in this? a different
4: place before. It
6: was. But things come up from 20 years ago, 30 years ago, like in the case of, well, Joe Biden, I guess, who I have no idea what his intentions are one way or the other, but probably didn't think twice about whatever he was doing in that moment because it's the way he was and the line was in a different place. And now he's being forced to think about that.
4: Being forced to think about it is a good thing.
6: That's what I'm saying.
4: Being forced out. Is something else.
6: Right. And, and to this point, we haven't seen him forced out of anything.
4: I saw you this year try to give some grace and space to Louis C.K. Mm-hmm. And you were annihilated. Mm-hmm. You retreated after the Louis C.K. thing, but your intention is the same. Have you thought more about it? Is there room for someone to come back who's
6: gone down? Well, one of the reasons I picked Louis specifically was because I thought he was unique mm-hmm. in his ability to address his own foibles. And that if anybody could do it, he could. What's been disappointing about Louis specifically is that he has chosen the exact opposite path since then. And the fact that he's done that has made me actually feel worse and more foolish for having come to his defense in the beginning. I think everybody thought, I thought, that Louis made a career, Louis specifically made a career, of talking about what a scumbag he is and all the things that are wrong with Louis. And yet when it came to this thing, this thing that everybody knew about and everybody expected him to address, he hasn't done it in an intelligent, cogent, or humble way. I think he had an opportunity to come back if he had done that. And maybe he still has that opportunity. But his behavior since then has indicated that he's unwilling or unable to do it. I don't know. I don't know if people can come back. I think somebody will at some point and we'll see how it goes for them.
4: But that's also because sometimes you have to say you're sorry and be sorry, sorrier than you want to be. Yeah. Right. So for you, for me, there, there can be instances, especially on social media, where our words, because we're public people of prominence, we can express a view. And even if we have no bad intention, if it is offensive to someone, we have to ask ourselves, are we truly sorry that that person got offended? And oftentimes we don't want to say we're sorry because it's like we're admitting guilt, mm-hmm. right? But if you, if, you, if you come from a place where you say, there's no such thing as an ugly truth. And I am sorry that what I said sucked. I'm sorry that I did that. And, and that maybe is the case of Louis or others where they're still so stuck in on technicalities or but this, but that, instead of just, you got to truly fall on the sword and people don't seem to want to.
6: It's really hard for men in particular to be that vulnerable, to expose <gasps> themselves in that way. That's hard. That's really hard stuff. Maybe the hardest thing for men is to you know essentially just stand there naked and say, take your shot. I, I deserve it. That's hard. And- you would hope that more men would learn to develop those skills.
4: We didn't let them until now.
6: No, I don't know that we're, we're able to, to this point. I, I I struggle with it constantly. You know, I just screw up at home. You know, I piss off my wife about something. It's really, really, really hard for me to say I screwed up and I'm sorry. And to own that, it's really hard. Then again, she almost never apologizes to me. <laughs>
4: See, there you go. But well, she never says sorry to me. But, but. We didn't, we don't allow when men are vulnerable, we judge them for it. We Mm -hmm. think they're weak. And when women are, we think they're weak. You can be confident and vulnerable at the same time.
6: Yeah, you can be.
4: Traditionally, we don't allow, we we don't, we don't allow for that.
6: I'm just, I'm trying to process whether I agree with you that we don't allow women to have that same vulnerability. Well,
4: listen, we let, we let them. And then we love it because we're like, you can be vulnerable and cry because it keeps us nice and weak.
6: Yeah, I think maybe that's right.
4: Sure, we we their tears are welcome. Uh-huh. And then we are and then we will keep them right there in their
6: place. Right. I think when a man does that, when a man kind of sheds those public tears, in a weird way, it can end with contempt for him instead of appreciation.
4: So here's what I'm hearing about political correctness. There is no clear answer, but there's also no political correctness police. It's going to come and arrest you. Now, what I learned is just because you have good intentions, that isn't necessarily good enough. And while we can't expect everyone to be hyper aware of every person's perspective and plight, my commitment, what I'm going to do is to actually think a little bit harder about it and implement it for those around me. If we can all try a little bit more and get out of our camps, I actually think we're going to have huge progress. So that is what I'm going to do. This has been our conversation on political correctness. Thanks for listening, bringing an open mind, and helping me create the modern rules. That's it for today's episode. I'm your host, Stephanie Rule. A very, very special thanks to the extraordinary people who made this happen. My producers, Julie Brown, Samantha Ulin, and Ann Barak-Audio. Michael Biet for booking and wrangling the amazing guests who joined us. Julian Weller for editing and Bill Plax, Michael Azar, and Jacopo Penzo for their recording expertise. Special thanks to Steve Liktai, Barbara Rabb, Jonathan Wald, Marie Dugo, Holly Traz, Nikki Etor, and Christina Everett. Our executive producers are Connell Byrne and Mangesh Hatigador. And of course, the men who brought us all together, chairman and CEO of iHeartMedia, Bob Pittman, and chairman of NBC News, Andy Lack.
1: For more podcasts from iHeartRadio, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows.
2: Check the backseat. Check the backseat. All right, come here. Check the backseat